Most weight loss programs are short-term fixes, but managing your weight needs a long-term solution. And that's what makes Noom different. Noom uses science and personalization to help you manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Welcome, everyone, to Long Ball Legacies, where we here on the Pitcherless Podcast Network come together every single Friday to take a look at baseball's greatest players, its role players, it, you know, those who helped shape the story of our favorite game throughout its history. And then we try to, to rank them and compile a list of who are the most important players for telling the story of the game of baseball. I'm your host, Daniel Port. Thank you so much for joining me here today. I'm really excited about today's episode. It is going to be a ton of fun. I, I mentioned last week after going through and doing a couple Negro League players and talking about women in baseball last week, I wanted to piggyback on the excitement and fun of the World Baseball Classic and Japan's thrilling win in the World Baseball Classic to spend the next couple weeks talking about Japanese players and who are the greatest players from Japan and what was their impact on American baseball and global baseball and Japanese baseball and all that stuff. And with that in mind, I figured who better to start with than Shohei Otani, the star of the World Baseball Classic, the best player in baseball right now, and the star of Major League Baseball. I figured that was a pretty darn good place to start. I was born in 1985 and in my 37 years on the planet Earth, I have gotten to watch a lot of all-time great athletes across a wide variety of sports. I've gotten to watch Ichiro Suzuki. I've gotten to watch Ken Griffey Jr., Barry Bonds, Mike Trout, Michael Jordan and LeBron James, Diana Taurasi and Tamika Catchings. I've seen Tom Brady and Joe Montana, LaDainian Tomlinson and Jerry Rice along with Rafa Nadal and Serena and Venus Williams and Roger Federer and so many more. And there's arguments for many of those players as the greatest ever at their position or at their sport, but none of them were necessarily what I would call unicorns. We had seen similar players like them before. You take a look at LeBron James. He has a better career than probably Matt Johnson or Bill Russell, but they were incredibly similar players in terms of their play style, build, and skill set. Barry Bonds was incredible and was easily the best five-tool player ever in baseball to a certain degree, but we had seen five-tool players before. And the same goes for Federer and Nadal and the Williams sisters or Brady and Montana. Even Michael Jordan had a predecessor in David Thompson and Julius Irving. And I don't mean to take anything away from them. That list is a a list of the best at their sports. And many of them even top the list of top three or top five ever to play the sport all time, whatever sport they played. But none of them were really unicorns, per se. And by that, uh, a player type that has never really existed before. And you wonder if you will ever see them pull it off again. And for most of my life, the only real unicorn I have ever seen in my lifetime until recently was Deion Sanders or Bo Jackson, where they literally played two different sports. And then recently, Shohei Otani came over to the States to play in Major League Baseball and changed everything. I feel confident making the statement that we have never seen a player in the majors who could pitch at a Cy Young level while hitting at an MVP level. We've never seen that. And while I'm sure we will see another two-way player excel at some point in Major League Baseball history, that's because that's just how things work. That's how history works. But it also wouldn't surprise me if we never see his like ever again. That, That this is a true unicorn. And I'm just so excited to talk about him and share his story. 
and dive into looking at him and trying to put in perspective the incredible things that Shohei Otani has managed to accomplish in his baseball playing career. And I think we, before we dive into Otani and his career and his story, though, I think it would be useful to put into perspective just how rare his combination of talents are. So according to StatHead, uh, the baseball reference search database, since 1900, just 35 players throughout history have had at least 10 games pitched and 200-plus plate appearances in at least one season. Before Otani, only one player had done so more than once, uh, a player named Bullet Rogan, who played for the Kansas City Monarchs in the Negro Leagues. Only three players have had such a season since 1930. Only three. Oftentimes, the comparison is made between Otani and Babe Ruth. And while Ruth did pull double duty for five seasons, he only exceeded 200 plate appearances in two of those seasons and accumulated just 19.2 war as a hitter over that time period. And he did so pre-integration. 1919 was his best season as a two-way player, uh, where he put up 9.1 war as a hitter, but managed just 0.8 war as a pitcher. So it's hard to say he is a, a true comparison to Otani, who has almost 10 years of experience as a two-way player, if you add in Otani's time playing in Japan, which we absolutely should, by the way. And even Ruth was never really elite at both at the same time, hence why he eventually abandoned pitching altogether. That tells you just how incredibly rare Otani's performance is so far in his career. Now, jumping in to Otani's career, basically, when I talk about statistics and I talk about how Otani performed over in Japan and here in the U.S., I am going to treat them equally and eventually we'll combine Otani's stats from the Nippon Baseball Leagues and combine them with his major league numbers. For That way we get a full perspective of what he's managed to accomplish in his career and much like the Negro League numbers when I, I did Josh Gibson and Satchel Page, I'm not going to parse between the quality of the leagues or the competition as I feel like that's both unfair to the quality of the leagues and probably trying to tout Major League Baseball as something that's superior is probably at least somewhat mired in xenophobia. And I'm just not going to play that game. I'm not going to do it because baseball is different somewhere. does not make it inferior. It's just it's a different league and different things. And so that means I am going to treat his accomplishments in Japan the same way I do his accomplishments in the majors. Now, it's probably worth noting as well that Otani makes his debut in the Nippon Professional Baseball Leagues at 18 years old. That's at a time when most Major League Baseball players are you know, rookie ball, A ball. Maybe if they've excelled, they might have worked their way up to high A ball. But he was playing against the pros, the best of the best in Japan at the time. So he, for a large chunk of his career, was actually facing tougher competition while doing something that seemed at the time nearly impossible. So keep that in mind as we go through his career and take a look at what he's managed to accomplish. Now... Perhaps the most fascinating thing, aside from what Otani is able to accomplish on the field, is sort of the story of how he gets to America and playing in the majors and ends up in Los Angeles. And so we're going to spend a decent chunk of time there talking about his background and his history and things like that as well. Shohei Otani was born in 1994, God, God I'm old, in Mizusawa, Iwate, Japan. And I apologize if I mispronounce anything. I'm trying, and I've tried to listen to a few things to try and get the pronunciations down. It is a language I'm not as readily familiar with, so just bear with me, and I apologize if I've said anything terribly wrong. His mother, Kayako, was a badminton player of renown in her day, and his father played amateur baseball as well. According to Dylan Hernandez of the Los Angeles Times, Otani was referred to as a Yaku Shonen, which was a, a term the Japanese used for a kid who lives, eats, and breathes baseball. And quick side note, in case you're wondering how popular baseball is in Japan, they literally have a term for kids who are obsessed with baseball. They created a term for it. And how cool is that? I love that so much. Otani ends up starring for his hometown high school team in Iwate, where Otani was 
clocked to have regular hit 99 miles an hour as a senior in high school. That's insane. And I think it's important to understand in some ways how Otani's high school experience was different from what even elite high school seniors in America experience. According to that same article from the Los Angeles Times, Otani's high school was called Hinamaki, Hinamaki Higashi. And it was more like a college campus. The players lived there on campus, and they only returned home six days a year. Uh, Otani's high school coach, Hiroshi Sasaki, would actually like assign chores, which included scrubbing toilets to the players. And the idea, which probably seems crazy to us in America, was to teach not just humility, but understanding and appreciation. Sasaki said, and I quote from that same LA Times article, the mound is the most elevated place in the field, he explained. It's a stage. If you're on that stage, you receive the most attention. You get interviewed and written about the most. And if you go to a nice department store, the toilets are magnificent. If you go to a nice hotel, the toilets are important, Sasaki said. If you see a toilet, you can see this, the value of a place, the purpose with which the people there approach their work. It's the most important place in an establishment just like the mound is the most important place in the field. And that really sort of feels like something designed to not belittle or undermine as it may come across the first, or even to teach some arbitrary sense of discipline. But more, again, this sort of importance and respect for a place to understand. If you understood that value, you would understand the value that the mound carried. And I really just am blown away by that. Uh, that really resonated with me when I was reading it. And you have to wonder how much that sort of experience impacted Otani, who's often described as a confident yet humble guy. Just the other day, video broke of Otani sprinting out to center field before a game against the Mariners to greet his hero, Ichiro Suzuki. And despite being the biggest star in the game right now, he doffed his hat. He bows to Ichiro out of respect and looked like a, 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 a frankly a kid at Christmas like meeting his his biggest you know idol it was it was really quite adorable I loved it and was really telling about just the kind of person Shohei Otani is it, it feels like there's sort of some kind of connecting line through that that experience he had you know growing up you know being taught these sort of life lessons uh, you know, and and then this respect he shows as an adult, and this this kind of person he's grown up to be, and it reveals just so much about Otani as a person. I I love it. I, I honestly do. Now, at the end of his high school career, Otani faced a dilemma. His original plan had been to come over to the the majors the following year after graduating high school. And at the time, he was already being recruited by the Dodgers to come pitch in America. Otani was mightily tempted at this, but was held back both by the rules of the collective bargaining agreement, which, you know, the contract structure available to non-professional players coming over the majors would have forced him to go through the draft and would have also forced uh, him to make a lot less money. He would have been on rookie contracts, all sorts of different things. So that was one thing that was holding him back from immediately coming over. And the other part was Major League Baseball teams at this point were actively recruiting him just as a pitcher, right? And Otani felt he was capable of doing both. And he was also having trouble in Japan because at the time, most uh, NPB teams were mostly recruiting him as a hitter. And so Otani really felt he was capable of doing both. And according to the ringer's Ben Lindbergh in an article, there was one team that was willing to offer him that opportunity, namely the Hokkaido Nippon Ham Fighters, which is maybe the greatest baseball team name ever. And they were in the NPB, and they had built sort of a reputation at the time as a forward-thinking, analytics-heavy team that drew comparisons to, like, the Rays here in America. And... Jason Koskri, who was a beat reporter on Japanese baseball at the time, was quoted as saying, well, that's the kind of team the fighters are, Koskri says. I, I don't want to say they're weird, but they're different in some ways. And, you know, it's easy to wonder how 
different Otani's destiny would have been if the fighters hadn't decided the risk was worth it. He, he still would have been great, obviously. If he, he if he had been just a pitcher, he would have been an all-time great pitcher. If he had been just a hitter, he would have been a great pay, uh, hitter, too. But he wouldn't have been unicorn great, right? We would have been having a much different conversation about Shohei Otani today. Now, Otani was trapped at this point between his intense desire to play in the majors as quickly as humanly possible and his drive to prove he could be a two-way player. Otani had, after graduating high school, had publicly asked NPB teams not to draft him. He didn't want to kind of mess up his chances of going over into the major leagues. But the Hamfires did so anyways and kind of had a reputation for doing this when players had uh, specific requests. They, it was a heck of a risk because they could lose the draft pick. There were repercussions to not signing draft picks. Um, and this easily could have backfired on them. Even after the fighters drafted Otani, he said publicly, my own feelings are unchanged, Otani said in response. I am grateful they value me so so highly. Right now, I am going to just practice in order to achieve my own goals, which personally felt like the most respectful rejection humanly possible. As Lindbergh outlines in his article, the fighters outlined a plan for Otani that ended with him in the U.S. playing baseball. They mentioned that almost all successful Japanese players in the U.S. started in the NPB. They sold him in the idea that playing in Japan was better than having to work his way up to the minors, which, as we know, is not exactly the most pleasant experience. But really, the key piece of the argument centered on letting Otani make baseball history by letting him play as a two-way player. No one had really ever done it before in Japan, and no one in the majors was going to let him do it, especially at 18, 19 years old. And so if he went over there now, there was no chance he was going to get to be or to prove that he could play both sides of the baseball. And the fighters were willing to give him the chance to prove he could do it and, you know, become a legend in in baseball, to write his name in the baseball history books, so to say. You throw in that they gave him a $1 million signing bonus and and understand that once Otani was ready and, and he chose that he was ready, the fighters would post him to go play in the majors. Against all the odds, they won Otani over and convinced him to play for the Ham Fighters. It was a huge risk for Otani. If he couldn't pull it off, if he couldn't make himself as a two-way player, it could have ruined how strongly Major League Baseball teams were recruiting him. You know, he could have injured himself. He could have... When it comes to weight management, we tend to put our focus on what we eat. But Noom's approach puts the focus on why we eat. And that's a game changer. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Try Noom today and see the results for yourself. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Sometimes it can feel like food has an emotional control over you. Well, it's time to show your food who's boss with Noom. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Really, it could have gone wrong in a lot of different ways, but it didn't. Otani bet on himself, and it paid off big time. 
Now, before we get into how well Otani performed in the MPB, actually, let's take a second, let that all kind of soak in, and let's take our first break here. Welcome back. So, now we are in the year 2013, and Otani is 18 years old, he makes his NPB debut. It's worth noting that when he wasn't pitching, Otani played right field for the fighters, which meant he wasn't just pitching and hitting. He was also playing the field, too, which is insane. His pitching got off to a much faster start in his career than his hitting. He pitched in 18 games, making 11 starts. He wins three games with a 4.02 ERA and 68 strikeouts in 80.2 innings pitched with a 1.463 whip. For an 18-year-old facing, you know, seasoned pros, who were, you know, in the highest in the game at the time, that's pretty darn good. <laughs> and for the record, on average, he was eight years younger than the average player in the NPB at the time, right? So, again, keep those numbers in perspective. It's still pretty darn good. On the hitting side, Otani struggled, hitting just 231 with three home runs and a 643 OPS across 214 plate appearances. Despite that, the ham fighters liked what they saw. And Otani was named to the All-Star team that year. And former Cubs hitter Micah Hoffpar, who was with the Ham Fighters that year, Lindbergh quotes in his article saying, We're meandering back through there. This is during spring training. We're meandering back through there to see what's going on. And it's Shohei, and he's hitting. And, man, every ball he hit is coming off the bat really well and just hard. It's a different sound. I remember hearing stories about Josh Hamilton. The people hearing the ball come off the bat and going, bleep, it sounds different. Otani was like that. Even at 18, he was like that. And, and what about when he towed the rubber? What else did uh, Hafpar had to say? He's out on the field and he's throwing a sim game or something like that. A couple of hitters stepping in to watch him throw and take swings or whatever. And the ball just effortlessly jumps out of his hand. And you're like, holy crap, man, this is impressive. And we stood around the cage and watched because it was fun to watch the ball come out of his hand like it did and know that this guy could potentially also hit fourth in the lineup for us tonight. And he'd be really good at that too. So, and this is before he's played a professional game. So it was clear the skills were there. They just needed development. 2014 saw that development start to blossom to full-blown stardom. He throws 155 innings across 24 starts, going 11-4 with a 2.61 ERA, 179 strikeouts, and a 1.17 whip. As a hitter, he hit 274 with an 842 OPS, 10 home runs, and 17 doubles across 87 games, all while still being just 19 years old. That's insane. It honestly might be the greatest season by a 19-year-old in the history of baseball. I, I, I'd i be hard-pressed to find uh, another one that impressive. He was an all-star game. He was an all-star that year, again. And he turned heads in that game by throwing 101 miles an hour, which set a new Japanese baseball record. I, I was watching when he did it, like video of when he did it, and it, it's wild. You can just see everyone. Every, he threw a couple of them that were that fast and just... Jaws drop. The players, they hit her at one point, you know, fouls off the 100-mile-an-hour pitch and, like, stares at Otani like, how did you do that? It was just blown away. Everyone was just blown away. It's really, really cool. Look it up. It's a lot of fun. Now, 2015 saw major struggles at the plate for Otani as a 20-year-old as he hit just 202 across 119 plate appearances with five home runs. On the other hand, he absolutely dominated on the mound. With a 2.21 ERA, crossed 162.2 innings pitched, with 199 strikeouts and an astonishing 0.92 whip, while compiling a 15-5 record for the fighters. Uh, I mean, that's an elite season right there, regardless of whatever he was able to do at the plate. I mean, that's Cy Young. I mean, obviously he's over in Japan, so it's not that. that's not the award, but... It's that caliber of of performance on the mound. And then he was also a hitter. That's that's incredible. And he makes his third consecutive All-Star game that year. And he finishes third in MVP voting for the second year in a row. So just fantastic. 
fantastic stuff for a 20-year-old playing both ways in baseball. Just uh, astonishing. Now, 2016, though, was the year he would take the NPB and really all of Japan by storm. He, he somehow became even more dominant on the mound, throwing 140 innings pitched across 21 games with 1.86 ERA, a .96 whip, and 174 strikeouts. He was so good, he allowed just four home runs on the season while going 10-4. and four. This time, though, he put it all together at the plate as well. Across 382 plate appearances, he hit 322 with 22 home runs, 18 doubles, 67 RBIs, 65 runs scored, 10 stolen bases, and a 1.004 OPS. This is all in about 104 games played. He was voted to his fourth All-Star game while garnering nearly double the votes anyone else got. And at the end of the year, he was named MVP of the league. In addition, he led the fighters to the 2016 Japan Series, which is the NPB version of the World Series, where they would emerge triumphant with Otani pitching in Game 1, giving up three runs in six innings with 11 strikeouts. And he hit 375 of four doubles in the series as a whole. Now, honestly, we don't have war numbers or anything for Otani for this season because uh, that's not calculated for the for for non MLB seasons. There's, I think, there's an argument that when you include the postseason, this is one of the greatest. This is one of the greatest seasons really, ever, in any league in any context ever in the history of baseball. Just an incredible, incredible season. I mean, think about it this way. There was a place where not only have a 1.86 ERA, he averaged, you know, because he threw 140 innings and only allowed four home runs. He basically averaged just one home run like every 10 innings he threw. That's insane. That's crazy. It's just an incredible season. Now, Otani spent a large chunk of 2017 dealing with an ankle injury that he sustained in the 2016 Japan Series. He's still fantastic when he plays. He hits 332 across 66 games and 231 plate appearances. He hits eight home runs with 16 doubles to go with a 942 OPS. On the mound, he threw just 26.1 innings pitched with a 3.42 ERA to go with a 1.29 whip and 31 strikeouts. Eventually, the ankle injury would end his season by requiring surgery. And at the end of the year, Otani requested that he be posted for coming to play in the major league in Major League Baseball for the 2018 season. And you know, I remember that off season. It was it was wild. I've seen a lot of big name free agents come up in an off season before, right? I mean, heck, I was living in Cleveland when LeBron James made the made uh, the decision. So I've seen free agency before. And I can honestly say I've never seen anything like this. Every team sent representatives to Otani. Every team. Even the ones who knew they didn't stand a chance. It's like, well, we got to try. You have to try. It's Otani. <laughs> Entire pitch sessions and, like, and, and strategies and PowerPoints. And I mean, entire plans were created by teams to court Otani. And I mean, everything was tried. Everything was thought of. Uh, even teams who knew they did, like I said, even teams who knew they didn't stand a chance knew they had to try. That's how special Otani was. In the end, he narrowed down first to seven teams and then eventually signs with the Los Angeles Angels. And this was earth-shaking. Not only was Otani going to be playing in LA, but he was teaming up with Mike Trout. You know, the hype honestly couldn't have been bigger. Otani had come to Major League Baseball at this point. Overall, in his five seasons playing in the MPB, he hit 284 with an 854 OPS, 48 home runs, 72 doubles, and 166 RBIs, while throwing 565 innings pitched across 62 starts with a 2.55 ERA, 1.09 whip, and 651 strikeouts. Now, his Angels tenure got off to a slightly rocky start as Otani was diagnosed in the December of that year with a UCL sprain in his right elbow. 
he received a PRP injection or platelet-rich plasma injection to treat the injury, and it was announced that he would be ready for the start of the season, where indeed the Angels would use Otani as a two-way player. And I often wonder how much it helped Otani, and probably helped the Angels land Otani, that Joe Madden was the manager at the time. No matter how you feel about Joe Madden's ability as a manager, he never really had any problems thinking outside the box or trying something unorthodox. A manager who took fewer risks or was more old school might have been reluctant to use Otani in this way. And it was long rumored at the time that the only way Otani would agree to sign somewhere would be if they agreed to use him as a two-way player. And because of this and because of having Madden, it's likely the Angels kind of lucked out there in being the perfect spot for him. Now, at the start of 2018, Otani debuts to all of the fanfare and excitement. It was as if everyone knew they were watching history being made on opening day. You knew Otani was something special. You knew it from the first pitch, from the first at-bat. You knew he was something special. And he did not disappoint in his rookie year. A blister and eventually a reoccurrence of his UCL injury limited his pitching that year. He was excellent on the mound, throwing 51.2 innings pitched with a 3.31 ERA and 61 strikeouts to go along with a 4-2 record and a 1.16 whip. He also served as the DH in 104 games, accumulating 367 plate appearances where he hit 285, the 925 OPS, which is good for a 151 OPS plus, to go along with 22 home runs, 61 RBIs, 59 runs, and 10 stolen bases. He was worth 2.7 war as a hitter. Remember, for the record, when I give war for hitters, that war number takes a hit because he was DHing. And he added another 1.3 war as a pitcher. He wins Rookie of the Year award in a landslide, even though in reality he wasn't really a rookie. And there's an argument that giving him the award was probably pretty insulting. I remember... This came up when they gave it to Ichiro in 2001. Uh, the same sort of thing happened where everyone kind of said, he's not really a rookie. He's been playing professional baseball for eight years, what Ichiro had before he came over. And for Otani, it was five or six years. So it was maybe a little insulting. I don't think it was really meant that way. I, I think they meant it as a celebration of what, what he was able to accomplish. But I get it coming across that way. If nothing else, it was at least a little condescending. I don't think it had ill intentions, but not the greatest thing. I, I don't know what else they were supposed to do either. At the end of the season, it was reported the UCL injury in Otani's elbow had worsened, and it was suggested that he should have Tommy John surgery. And so at the end of the season, he does. It was announced that Otani would still play at the start of the next season, though, despite the nearly year-long recovery for, a, for an injury of that sort before he could probably pitch again. He would only play in 2019 as a hitter. And he would actually miss most of April as well as the last part of his recovery there. All in all, considering Otani was, again, for the record, in mid-recovery from Tommy John surgery while hitting, he has a pretty great season as a hitter. In 2019, he hits, two, he hits 286 with 18 home runs, 20 doubles, 12 stolen bases, and 62 RBIs across 106 games and 425 plate appearances to go along with a 848 OPS, which is good for a 121 OPS+. plus. In the end, he was worth 2.5 war that season. Again, considering he was hurt and in recovering for most of that season, it's still pretty darn good. Now, we get into the dreaded 2020 shortened season, and that was a rough year for everyone. And it was hard on Otani as well. He would battle a flexor strain in his right arm, which limited him to just 1.2 innings pitched. He struggled as well at the plate thanks to the injury, which sapped him of his power, hitting just 190 with seven home runs in 46 games. A frustrated Otani was quoted as saying, until 2019, I could do more or less do the things I wanted to do. I'd pretty much never experienced the feeling of wanting to do something but being completely unable to do it. Not only did a determined Otani use the 2021 offseason to get healthy, but according to several accounts, he spent the offseason reevaluating how he would stay healthy. He overhauled his diet and his workout regime. He reshaped his lower body and bulked up and added a lot of weight and muscle. And he started preparing for the season earlier than ever. 
He went and did work at driveline in the offseason, and it all paid off as it convinced the Angels to let Otani play that season without restrictions. They bet big on Otani, and it paid off in a big way as Otani was absolutely incredible. At the plate, he put together 639 plate appearances across 155 games played. He hammers 46 home runs, 26 doubles, and 8 triples to go along with 100 RBIs, 103 runs scored, and 26 stolen bases while hitting 257 with a 965 OPS, which is good for a 157 OPS+. plus. That alone would probably have been MVP-worthy. That's before we even get to the pitching side of things. On the rubber, he threw 130 innings across 23 starts, going 9-2 with a 3.18 ERA and a 1.09 whip to go along with 156 strikeouts. Overall, he was worth 4.9 war as a hitter, despite not playing in the field and getting negative war taken off for being a DH. And as a pitcher, he had another 4.1 war, giving him a total of 8.9 war, which led both leagues by 1.2 war. He wins the MVP in a landslide, receiving all 30 first place votes. And it was well-deserved. Honestly... I don't even think War even sufficiently summarizes how good this season was. This is not an actual representation of it. It wasn't just MVP worthy. It was historic. Major League Baseball had never seen anything like it. I cannot stress that enough. That at some point, not only was he an MVP at the plate, he was basically a Cy Young on the mound. Like It it just boggles the mind how special that is that he played at a level in which he probably could have swept the awards if he really wanted to. He didn't quite have the innings pitched at only 130 innings pitched, but it was it was incredibly impressive. And in addition to the MVP award, he goes to his first MLB All-Star game and is awarded the Silver Slugger Award. Now, unfortunately for the Angels, Mike Trout missed much of the season and that limited just how good the Angels could be as they won just 77 games that year and missed the playoffs. Again, if 2021 was an unprecedented season in the history of Major League Baseball, and frankly probably in all of baseball history, regardless of where, there's really no way Otani could have come close to matching in 2022. Wrong. He's incredible. Hitting 273 with 34 home runs, 30 doubles, 6 triples, 95 RBIs, 90 runs, and 11 stolen bases to go along with an 875 OPS, which is good for a 144 OPS plus. And again, that alone, that's that line right there, alone is practically MVP worthy. But that's before we get to his pitching, where he threw 166 innings with 172 strikeouts to go along with a 15-9 and record and an utterly fantastic 2.33 ERA and a 1.02 whip. So not only did he hit at an MVP level, but at 166 innings pitched at that level, that's Cy Young level pitching as well. Just absurd. Just, I, like, I don't have words. I cannot put words into this podcast, into your ears. Accurately describes how difficult that is. The, how, to, to describe how impressive from an athlete that level of performance is. I, I just don't have the words for it. I wish I did. It's my job. That's what I do this podcast for is to have the words to describe that. And I can say things like historic and monumental and once in a lifetime, generational. And it still doesn't do it justice. That's how good that season was. It just, I, I, it boggles the mind. It really does. And it just doesn't compute. It breaks my brain, honestly. (laughs) And it was really just a joy. It was one of the most fun seasons I've ever watched, where I've watched a player that wasn't on my the team I was rooting for. It just really was something to behold. He was worth 3.4 war as a hitter and 6.2 war as a pitcher. He was an all-star level pitcher and then added 3.4 war as a hitter, by the way. This adds up to 9.6 war in total. Now, astonishingly, he doesn't win the MVP award for the second year in a row. Because Aaron Judge decided to go all historic on the American League as well by hitting 62 home runs along with a 1.111 OPS and 10.6 war. And now, 
it's pretty incredible to have 9.64 and not win the MVP. That's to say the judge had an incredible year. And I won't say that judge didn't deserve the MVP. But I feel like War, like I said, doesn't accurately cover what Otani was able to accomplish here. For one thing, considering he was also pitching, it seems a bit unfair to ding Otani for DHing. And you would think that the pitching more than made up for because he did still have to play the field when he pitched too. But really think the main argument for Otani as the MVP last year, despite Judge leading in war, is frankly is the what Otani did is more impressive. When you consider the practice workload he had to carry, he didn't just have batting practice or, or bullpens on an off days hitter or pitcher had. He had both. Right? He had to juggle both of those things. And that affects his rest and recovery. Frankly, places a greater mental load on Otani. Uh, it's worth noting he also appeared in 153 games as a DH while pitching in 28 games. That means he hit in several games he pitched in. Which, again, makes it feel unfair to dock him the uh, DH penalty when he was pulling double duty. In my... For me, that I think Otani should have won the MVP. I, I don't... Frankly, any season in which he pulls these two things off, I don't know how you just don't hand him the MVP trophy. See, as long as you pitch in a Cy Young in a, a level and hit it at an MVP level, the trophy's yours. Take it. And also, for the record, that's before you get into uh, the accusation that Major League Baseball is switching the balls around to help uh, judge chase the record and all that stuff. Again, I'm not trying to imply we take away judge's MVP. He certainly earned it. He had an incredible season. But I do think, for me at least, what Otani has accomplished and accomplished that year was simply more impressive. Uh, that's all. Now, unfortunately, once again, the Angels would fall short of the playoffs. And so Otani still, even to this day, hasn't seen the playoffs in the majors. Now, we are in the early days of the 2023 season as this goes out. And Otani is off to a great start. He's making two starts. With 12 innings pitched, he has 18 strikeouts already and just one earned run across those two starts. As a hitter, he already has six hits in six games, including two home runs to go along with six RBI. Now, time will only tell just what the season has in store for Otani, but so far it's shaping up to be another great season for him as he heads into his first free agency period in the majors. We've already, we're already seeing speculation that he could earn up of upward of $600 million for his contract, which would break all kinds of records. And that, this offseason is going to be astronomical. If, you, if we thought the first time Otani was being recruited was hyped, this is going to be wild. It's going to be nuts. And it generally could change the face of superstar contracts in baseball. The ramifications are huge. And now, he's also entering a time period where he should be the face of baseball. And if MLB was smart, They'd be plastering him on every billboard across America and every video game cover across America and really the world. And just Shohei Otani should be everywhere. The comparison I make is he should be what Griffey was in the 90s right now. Think of it this way. A decade ago, I was at a concert festival thing in San Francisco called Harley Strictly Bluegrass where acts would come from all over and play this big music festival. And I was there with some friends and we went and saw, just for kicks, we saw... Actor and, at the time, bluesman Hugh Laurie, if you remember from the show House, played the piano. He had just come out with an album, and we were like, well, we'll go check it out. And we were skeptical. We are like, well, he's an actor. How, how good could he be? And so we were skeptical first when we went over there. But he was genuinely incredible. He was, he blew us away. It was fantastic. And later that night, we were sitting around having some beers, and we determined that it really wasn't fair to be an incredibly talented actor who's funny and also be able to play the piano and to have everyone consider him good looking and be incredibly charming and be nice and just all of that to be the total package in every way, shape or form. It's just unfair that that's just the way we felt about it is that that, that is not fair. And we coined the term screw you, Hugh Laurie for that, that we would look at anyone who was the total package. And we just be like, screw you, Hugh Laurie. And that's how I feel about Otani sometimes. Uh, to be fair, we're jealous. That's jealousy, pure and simple. And I feel that way about Shohei Otani is that he's just a total package. And and so to him, I say, screw you, Hugh Laurie, as well, because he's elite at hitting. He's elite at pitching. He's the best player in the game right now. And it's not even close. 
He is charming. He seems humble. He's incredibly handsome. It looks good in a suit. He's smart, it seems, and the consummate teammate. Like, what what doesn't Shohei Otani do right now? And and that's like the perfect embodiment of the, the screw you, Hugh Lord type of person that, that, that is just fun to be jealous of. You want to be Shohei Otani. And he, how, if you're Major League Baseball, are you not making every effort to make Otani the face of the modern game? He should be everywhere. He should be synonymous with baseball right now. And every time someone says the game has gone south or it isn't the same as in their day, MLB should be putting Shohei Otani front and center to say, you're right. Fads come and go, and nowhere more than in the world of weight loss. That's why Noom has created weight management programs that are made to last. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life, not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. So stop chasing health trends and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. Eating is an emotional experience, which is why managing your weight needs to be a psychological one. Noom uses science and personalization so you can manage your weight for the long term. Their psychology-based approach helps you build better habits and behaviors that are easier to maintain. And they help you understand the science behind your eating choices and why you have those cravings. Noom's personalized courses are easy to follow and will help grow your confidence with tools you can put into practice on day one. The best part? You decide how Noom fits into your life not the other way around. And based on a sample of 4,272 Noomers, 98% say Noom helps change their habits and behaviors for good. Start taking control of your weight management and join the millions who have lost weight with Noom. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com to sign up for your trial today. It isn't the same game. We're taking the places you've never even imagined. That's what Shohei Otani represents. That's Shohei Otani's true legacy, no matter what happens the rest of his career. He's made the impossible possible. And he allows the entire baseball world to look forward to the horizons and say, if this this happened, if we found someone capable of this, what's next? And that's Shohei Otani to me. And the fact that Major League Baseball isn't just saying that every day <laughs> while sitting next to a picture of Shohei Otani, I don't know. But I'm excited to see where everything goes for him from here because it feels like the sky is the limit. So that's Otani's career so far. Now, we do have to project out the rest of his career and rank him on our list. That's what we do here. But before we do that, let's take our final break here. Welcome back. Um, So the question is, what's next for Otani? Since coming to the majors, he's already accumulated 25.5 war in just over five years. He's battled some pretty serious injuries. We do not scoff at having had uh, Tommy John. And those could eventually take their toll at some point, obviously. But right now, he shows no signs of slowing down. He's got two consecutive seasons of being able to do high-level, large amounts of both hitting and pitching. And so, if we play this a little conservatively and say he puts up at least three more seasons of elite pitching and hitting, which adds up to at least seven war, I feel like that's the floor. That's 21 more war, bringing him up to 46 war. And he'll, at that point, be 31. And given good health, obviously, he'll still be in his prime. But again, we'll play it conservatively, since that is obviously a lot of mileage, having played both sides, having played since he was 18. So let's 
pull back a little bit. Let's do, let's say four more years of five war. I feel like if he's continuing to both pitch and hit, even at a above average level, that five war seems like a good floor for it. So that would bring him to 66 war and he'd be 34 years old. Now, who knows from there? Obviously at that point, then it really is about health and luck and so many things and how long you can continue to do double duty at an above average level. But I'm willing to bet he surpasses 70 war pretty easily. Now, that's also without factoring in his statistics in Japan, which, again, I am weighing equally with his time in the majors, especially since he was so young. Now, we don't have war numbers for that time. It's probably safe to say. Project another 20 or so war in there, getting him to 90 war. Now, that right there is a heck of a career, and frankly, a historic one. Surefire Hall of Famer wouldn't even first ballot unanimous. It would be crazy if it wasn't. Now, so far across 11 pro seasons, he's already at 177 home runs and 174 doubles uh, with 514 RBIs and 79 stolen bases. In terms of pitching, he has a career 2.68 ERA, over 962.2 innings pitched, and 1,110 strikeouts. And I think it's reasonable to expect he ends up over 300 home runs and over 2,000 strikeouts as a two-way player. And I cannot emphasize enough that we don't really have the context for how to evaluate that legacy. Because it's never even come close to happening before. Not even come close to happening before. It's literally unprecedented in the recorded history of professional baseball. It's why Otani is the unicorn and a surefire Hall of Famer. Heck, it's entirely possible by the time all said and done, we're watching the greatest player the game has ever seen right before our very eyes. That is on the table right now. So then with all that context, the question is where do we rank him on our list? Real quick, let's run through the list for context. We have ranked so far on the list 62 players and... To rank out the top 15, well, we'll go top 20. Number one is Satchel Page. Number two is Josh Gibson. Number three is Mickey Mantle. Number four is Greg Maddox. Number five is Mike Trout. Number six is Ichiro. Number seven is George Brett. Number eight is Adrian Beltre. Number nine is Clayton Kershaw. Number 10 is Edgar Martinez. Number 11 is Sandy Koufax. Number 12 is Tony Gwen. Number 13 is Hank Greenberg. Number 14 is Nolan Arenado. Number 15 is Joey Votto. Number 16 is Scott Rowland. Number 17 is Ron Santo. Number 18 is Kenny Lofton. Number 19 is Manny Machado. And number 20 is Eddie Josh. Jumping ahead to number 25, we have Bryce Harper. At number 30, we have Jose Altuve. At number 35, we have Corey Kluber. At number 40, we have Evan Longoria. At number 45, we have Moises Alou. At number 50, we have Jason Veritek. At 55, we have Brad Radke. At number 60, we have Herb Score. At number 61, we have Mark Pryor. And number 62 is James Paxton. I think if Otani's already at around 46 war, including his Japanese numbers, that puts him right up there in the 15 to 17 range with Arnado, Votto, and Roland. But I think, honestly, he's well ahead of them in terms of what he has already accomplished and, frankly, what he will accomplish, all things fingers crossed. It all depends on how much value I place on the two-way player aspect of his legacy and its historical uniqueness, which, to be fair, I, I do. I place a lot of value on it. Now, if we go above that at number... 13 to look at Hank Greenberg. While Hank Greenberg is a two-time MVP with 300-plus home runs and a lifetime 1.017 OPS, he's, and he's critical f to the history of baseball for cultural reasons as a Jewish man playing in the 1930s and 1940s, he didn't pitch. And he played before integration, so I'm willing to push Otani above Greenberg. Looking at Tony Gwen at number 12, Gwen is a unique player in his own who doesn't get nearly enough credit for having a 20-year career with a career of 338 average. And he's easily one of the best pure contact hitters ever. But he's also only accumulated 69.2 war in his career. And I think Obatani blows past that in the next couple of years, let alone over his career. 
Sandy Koufax is an incredible pitcher and another important culturally impactful Jewish American player who has also won three Cy Youngs and an MVP. And obviously that's very impressive. And and there's a reason why, why I have him ranked number 11 on the list. The hard part is the, he had 2,396 career strikeouts, right? And if Otani gets past 2,000 strikeouts and keeps his ERA around three for his career, he's close enough to Koufax to have his hitting push him ahead. And he's already matched him at war pretty much at 48.9. And if we go up to number 10 with Edgar Martinez, the opposite argument, right? If Otani gets over 300 home runs, he'll have matched Edgar's 309 home runs and have been an elite pitcher as well. So uh, I think he goes above Edgar Martinez as well. And that brings us to Kershaw at number nine, Clayton Kershaw. And Kershaw's a bit tougher as he's likely going to surpass 80 war this year or next year. And that's getting into that range where you think injuries or age could limit Otani below that number. But I'm still going to give Otani the edge. Now, Adrian Beltre sits at 93.5 war at number eight with with 477 home runs, 93.5 war. And, and honestly, as an argument for the best third baseman ever, that's how good Adrian Beltre was. You know, we are talking the historical context is still there as well. This one's interesting. It, it, it's, it's highly unlikely Otani comes even close to matching Beltre's offensive output. He's not going to hit nearly 500 home runs. And Beltre was a platinum-level defender for almost two decades. That's that's a lot. And I think that 90-plus war is just about where I could see Otani getting to if all things break right for him. He'd have to have everything work out to get to that level, probably. And... It's really a question of if the difficulty of what Otani has done and what we speculate him to do, given the propensity of us saying, if everything goes right, is that enough to push him over the edge? And I don't think it has, I don't think it is yet. At the end of the year, uh, at the end of the 2023 season, I'm going to do a, an episode where I go back and I revisit all the current players and update their the story and their and sort of their rankings if they move up or down a little bit at the end of the year and when we revisit things for that episode you know he puts up another eight or nine more season and i'll probably think pretty hard about projecting him past adrian beltray probably even george brett and start getting him getting close to talking about putting him on par with with his hero with ichiro suzuki but for now i think he slots in right at number nine on our list, above Clayton Kershaw and just below Adrian Beltre. And so that is our episode. Thank you so much for for joining us. And this was a fun episode to do. I, this was a fun story to tell, and I really enjoyed it. I'm really enjoying looking at players from outside of our perspective here in the U.S. and looking at a guy who, again, we might be watching the greatest player to ever play the game. And... That's special, and I hope we appreciate it, and I hope we we celebrate it while we can, obviously, and while he is still playing. It's just really something to behold and something historic. We are we are watching history being made, right? And that, but sometimes it's hard in the moment to to feel that part of the whole point of this podcast is to be able to go backwards and look at things in retrospect. But just next time you watch Otani play, take that into perspective that we're seeing something historic. And I think it's really impressive. Now, I don't quite know who we're going to do for next week's episode. I think I've mentioned the whole sort of theme is going to be to look at three of Japan's greatest players and make some comparisons and just talk about how they've impacted the game of baseball globally and in Japan and in the U.S. and dive into them. So I haven't quite figured out who that's going to be yet. I'm still doing a bunch of research into that since I you know, came into this not being an expert in Japanese baseball, uh, definitely taking my time to research it and make sure I get it right. But I'll, we'll be back to take a look at another player next week from Japan. And until then, I just want to say thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for taking time out on your Friday and on your weekend to listen to this and enjoy folks the rest of your weekend. 
It's finally starting to get nice outside. We weathered all these storms last week or two, and uh, hopefully we get some sunshine, and uh, we all get to get outside and, you know, maybe play play some baseball or go watch some baseball, right? Uh, and until then, I will see you next Friday. Enjoy the rest of your weekend. Thank you so much.